You're pro dictatorship. Is this what you're telling me? Oh, well, I'm pro benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> That's the sweet spot. It is like I really do think that the best form of government is a benevolent dictator, someone who actually does have the people's best interests at heart. So, are we looking at you? Is that what's happening right now? Oh, Trevor, <laughs> I didn't think you would get there so quickly, but yes. Look, I do think. Oh, well, who am I kidding? Yeah, I think you I would. You that. would because I re I really do think I have the best interests of the people at heart. Sure, and I think false modesty also is benevolent, really. So I think you can keep yes. your brand. I totally think false modesty <laughs> is the new benevolent. <laughs> Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where, just like the Netflix selection screen, queer folks sense the vague interest of your passing cursor and immediately launch into a tight five of their juiciest bits. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2SLGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. That's what we do. We do it all the time. We're back. We're doing it again. You might call me a one-trick pony, uh, but from the back, I'm a thoroughbred. A few things to announce. First of all, I'm very, 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 very excited to have been invited to the 2022 Toronto Comic-Con in person because... We're nearing a post-pandemic world, I suppose, one might say. Uh, so yes, You Made Me Queer and I, the dad of You Made Me Queer, will be live at Comic-Con doing a live show, a 60-minute panel slot. So the exact date and time of that are TBD, but Toronto Comic-Con is March 18th to 20th at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. So many things have happened there in my 20s. I was a dancer for a Big Mac event a few years in a row called Fashion Cares. I dressed up at various times like a uh, naughty sailor who swung an enormous uh, sort of lasso rope. One year I was a naughty cowboy. So many things I've done really for a $5 bill and a sparsely populated craft service table. And I have no intention of stopping, so... Uh, get down off your condescending high horse, thank you very much, and see me there <laughs> at Toronto Comic-Con. Uh, also present, if I haven't sweetened the deal enough for you, are the following folks. Kevin Sorbo from Hercules. You made me queer. Hi. Uh, Austin St. John from Power Rangers, a.k.a. I think the Red Ranger, who anyone in Lycra or Spandex or wearing a mask... Uh, probably made me queer too. The Soup Nazi from Seinfeld. John Cusack, brother of Joan Cusack, who keeps me queer. And most importantly, might I say, no shade to the others, but the voice actors who portrayed 
Sailor Moon, Sailor Mars, and GD Tuxedo Mask. Can you believe it? It gets better. Uh, rather than try and tell you how much Sailor Moon meant to me as a uh, closeted queer child growing up in the suburbs, instead I will tell you that in my closet right now, I have an adult size, full body uh, Sailor Moon costume, not in its original color, a pastel variant, uh, ready to go at a moment's notice. So if you want me to show up somewhere wearing that, I will. And you can contact me at youmidmanqueer gmail.com. Let me be your sailor. How about that? So I will be announcing the exact time and my very, very, very special guest for this Comic-Con live show soon. But in the meantime, let's welcome today's guest. I'm so excited. My guest today is Scott Thompson. You know Scott Thompson. Who doesn't know Scott Thompson? Canadian television actor and comedian Scott Thompson, best known as being a member of comedy troupe The Kids in the Hall. I mean, get out of here. Kids in the Hall is a comedy institution, uh, despite airing from 1989 to 1995, which is inexplicably, uh, let's do quick math, you know, coming up to 30 years ago since it's been off the air, at least as a TV show in its main capacity. And still, I bet you, if you asked a lot of comedians working today, what inspired them, what got them started, Kids in the Hall is going to be up there, top 10 for sure, certainly in Canada. Uh, it's a, a straight-up institution. And me getting to hitch my baby institution to that one was a dream come true. I'm uh, like a sweet little... Sailor Moon skirt-wearing parasite. So let's learn a little more about Scott and his body of work, shall we? Thompson, aka Scott Thompson, became best known on Kids in the Hall for his monologues as the Alpha Queen socialite Buddy Cole. Oh my god, who we've talked about on the show with Paul Bellini, another You Made Me Queer alum, uh, as well as Scott's appearances as Queen Elizabeth II, who currently has COVID, so... Jeez, I hope she's okay. Um, if only for the relevance of this episode. Scott also played secretary Kathy, businessman Danny Husk. What a name. Say it. It feels great. Suburban housewife Fran, actress Francesca Fiore, and as the demented old man. Can I say demented? Am I canceled? In the popular Love and Sausages sketch. Scott has obviously done so much more. I, YouTube or stream, pay and stream for any episode of that show, and you will be inspired. It's something else. It inspired me, God knows. Okay, Scott also appeared on The Larry Sanders Show, Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher, The Late Show with David Letterman, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and uh, possibly Canada's finest film and television offering, Train 48. Train 48. Not unlike Thomas the Tank Engine, Train 48 was centered around a GO train. We'll come back to that. I'll do a spin-off podcast on Train 48. God knows. There is a new season of Kids in the Hall coming this May to Amazon Prime. Also, a documentary called Kids in the Hall Comedy Punks will be debuting this March at South by Southwest and then debuting on streaming platforms shortly after. Fun fact about Scott. Scott Thompson played over 100 waiters over the six-year duration uh, of Kids in the Hall. How many waiters have you played, huh? 
I bet you were a waiter. You haven't played any. You part-time minimum wage joker. I'm just kidding. Do you know how long I waited for? How many cruddy restaurants I had people throw nickels at me at uh, and forget to tip me from? Anyway, this is not about my trauma. It's about Scott's trauma. So without further ado, please welcome my sensational, wonderful, charming guest who I spoke to in the dead of winter and warmed uh, the Danny husk of my heart. How about that? (laughs) Please welcome and please enjoy my conversation with Scott Thompson. And you're wearing your new luxury headphones, Scott. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners can't see this, but here at You Made Me Queer, no expenses spared. Absolutely not. Absolutely. As you can already tell, the star treatment. And I hand-delivered in the Canadian winter. Yes, Um, you did. On the coldest day of the year. On the coldest day of the year, ask anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Truly uh, the cheapest pair of headphones possibly ever made. I feel like I'm in uh, at the very back of an airplane. (laughs) <laughs> trying to watch an episode of Jan. <laughs> Do you yes. Now of course everything is like in the embedded in the back of the seat or whatever. But do you yeah. remember when you had to look like 20 rows in front of you and yeah. squint to watch Police Academy 2 or whatever? Yes, of course I do. Yes. <laughs> I long for those days. Oh, my God. <laughs> D- take the choice away from me. I don't want to choose my movie. Me too. Too many choices for everything. It really, it just like I need like two choices for everything. Max. That's with cereal, sex, headphones, <laughs> airlines, two choices. That's it. That's it. That's all I want. I want two choices and a recommendation. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I'll always go with the recommendation because I don't want to research it myself. I, I mean, that's the whole problem with everything, isn't it? Too much choice. You're absolutely right. Um, so you're, you're pro-dictatorship? Is this what you're telling me? Oh, well, I'm pro-benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> That's the sweet spot. It is. Like, I really do think that the best form of government is a benevolent dictator, someone who actually does have the people's best interests at heart. So, I mean, it doesn't happen very often. No, it sure doesn't. It has happened in history, though. Do you mind I, citing one for me? Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Oh, the great, great reference. Look <laughs> how smart you look. <laughs> I knew you were you weren't expecting that, were you? No, oh my god. Oh, wow, everyone well, in academia's ears just pricked up right now. Yeah, I do think that. I think that he would have been a, a really good emperor at this moment. Um, mm. I think if Jesus was a real person and he didn't have those delusions, <laughs> he would have been a great benevolent dictator. That's right. Not so cray cray. But now yeah. since both of them are dead, are we looking at you? Is that what's happening right now? Oh, Trevor, <laughs> I didn't think you would get there so quickly, but yes, look, I do think, look, I don't think I'd be a very good, like modern leader. Like, I don't okay. think, I think I definitely wouldn't be a good Oh, well, who am I kidding? Yeah, I think you I would. You that. would because I re- I really do think I have the best interests of the people at heart. Sure, and I think false modesty also is benevolent, really. So I think you can keep yes. that brand. I totally think false modesty <laughs> is the new benevolent. I think false modesty is the new magnanimity. And I'm anything. <laughs> and if I'm anything, I'm magnanimous. 
And now you're just trying to make me blush with these $4 words here. Good work. I know. My vocabulary is going to pale in comparison to yours. So get ready to be underwhelmed and angry, quite frankly. <laughs> I think you're being um, falsely modest. I, I think you're a lot smarter and a lot more educated than you're letting on. Oh my but gosh. you know, that you're, no, I think you're working a kind of a dumb twink thing and it's not <laughs> working trevor god bless you for calling me a twink i am almost 40 and well that's a twink, twink that's a twink to me it's a I twink mean, is a relative it, term it really is i mean because people think of me as a daddy and i'm like i'm not <laughs> even a daddy anymore i'm 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 fucking uh, I, wilford brimley you know <laughs> I, i'm i'm grand i'm cocoon era <laughs> is that the status you list on the apps like yeah. your type is cocoon <laughs> cocoon yeah because you know what cocoon after they meet the aliens after the bath wait when it's like a dried out husk there's nothing no inside. no not not the very end oh not when okay. they're like pods and they drift and they dry up and, and blow away no no okay. no when they're dancing and fucking and remembering how young they were because you know i don't know if you've ever seen cocoon but it's kind of astonishing to look at it now because you look at the ages and you're still a pup. Oh, thank but you. I look at it and I go, holy fuck, I'm older than Wilfer Brimley was. <laughs> How did that happen? That's the litmus yeah. test. Are you pre-Wilford Brimley or older than Wilford Brimley? I'm older now. And here's the thing, I'm looking at old movies constantly now, and I find myself being attracted to the oddest people like Richard Widmark or <laughs> Ernest Borgnine when he was only a mere 48. I like, like to think I'm, that I know references, but both of those have me stumped. So fill me in, please. Well, Ernest Borgnine would have been, you know, like a great character actor from mm. the you know, 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. What I'm saying is I really like character actors like Robert Shaw. I'm looking Ooh. at them like in Jaws and going, oh, <laughs> right. Like Jack Nicholson when he played the, the old astronaut. What's the one where he's the astronaut and um, the kid dies? Shirley MacLaine. Um, <laughs> This you is this is the copy. I, no, no, no. I do. I know all these people, but I'm saying this is the copy I want on the back of the VHS. Yeah, well, so I, I'm looking at them and going like, when I was a kid, I would be yeah. so much more into that the younger, you know, male lead. Right. Of course. And now yeah. I'm kind of looking at the at the best friend, or like, you know what I mean, or or the the, the I don't know, like the Nazi guard, or or the cop, you know what I mean? Who's just too tired for this shit anymore. Yeah, you had me tell Nazi guard, we'll come back to that. But. Well, you know, I, I, I don't let Paltis get in, 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 into the bedroom. But when I was younger, like I used to fantasize about, you know, you know, I'm gonna say uh, Mel Gibson in, in Lethal oh. Weapon. Now oh, it's, yes. it's Danny Glover all the way. Oh, please. All the way. Please. See, yeah. it was always both of them. I could never figure it out. But now I'm like, well, you know, they're both old guys now, and, and Mel Gibson's kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, well. But Danny, and, and I yeah. look at Danny Glover in the first Lethal Weapon, and he's a gang much younger than I am right yes. now. Yes, yes, and you're spot on because you get sort of a bit of a looser white Oxford, tucked yeah. in, a bit billowy. Um, maybe you have a shoulder holster with a pistol. Yes. Yes, yes. now we're talking. A shoulder holster. You know what? I we don't see gonna... enough of those nowadays, just on nope. the street. We don't see enough... <laughs> rib bandages we don't oh, see yeah. enough men with broken ribs because yeah. that to me is this like when karen allen 
that bandages up Harrison Ford mm-hmm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yeah. Remember? With oh, the, of course, on the ship, right? Uh, and that makes me crazy. I just love the idea. I know you never even asked this, but I love the idea of a wounded man. Yeah. Who's yeah. just too masculine to even ask for help and too butch to cry. And I just come in and I go, it's all right. Yes. You can cry. You with that blown out red glossy perm saying oh no i'm glad you said perm oh yeah uh, kiss it better right that's that it, segment is amazing and it, I is, like it is an amazing segment yeah it's an amazing segment. it's amazing and i will say because harrison ford as much as he tried to swagger he always felt like he never felt broy or hyper masked no. to me there maybe because indiana jones is an academic canonically that's part of it yeah that is it yep yeah, you're right that's got to be it yeah but he was a bit of a softy nerd that you know and injured it's like when a kitten here here it is yeah. it's like when a kitten is wearing a cone around its head so it doesn't yeah. lick its stitches that's yeah. what turns you on yeah that's <laughs> not the kitten but if it was kitten a, if and it was a cone. Person, might, i don't know if it's the cone you don't bring politics into the bedroom you already <laughs> no but it's the stitches i definitely yeah. like a wounded man and i also think about more in harrison ford is that he was an academic, right? Mm-hmm. He wore glasses when yeah. he was teaching. Yeah. And 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 what the other thing is, he he um he was afraid of snakes and he he cries when he sees You're snakes. Right. Like, he's a softy. He's a softy. Total yeah. softy. And you yeah. have you are wearing again. This is not great for podcasts, but Scott is wearing glasses. Scott has sort of a Doctor Jones academic five o'clock shadow. But now I take them off and I'm headed to Egypt to find the Ark of the Covenant. Oh my goodness. Watch out for those Nazis. That's all I've got to do. Then the Nazi Nazi guards come back Um, in again. There you go. A man for all seasons and with many tastes. We're learning. A man for all seasons. Which, once again, that's filled with older character actors in it that I now fantasize about. So what you're saying is now you care about personality. You don't just want, uh, you know, a glorious body in short shorts and a V-neck. Oh, well, I mean, that's a that's a bit of a leap. Don't make uh, me choose. <laughs> no, no, no. I still care about physical look uh-huh. i just my my standards have dropped precipitously <laughs> who's good yeah please we're in a post-standard world well i think once you get you get to a point where you go well i'm not going to get this anymore so i should just lower the bar why not so and then more you people know what can I mean? jump over it <laughs> i keep as i get older i just keep lowering the bar and i keep going oh i'm as attractive and desirable as ever yes. because i still keep getting men after me and they're just not the men I would have wanted after me back then. But now, because the bar is so low, it's literally like, it's like a limbo stick. Mm-hmm. And it's about three inches like this. And somehow <laughs> it's like this, but I can still get under it, even though that is half the depth of my actual thigh. How that's possible, <laughs> you, well, we can't figure that out. That's a, a f- miracle of physics. It is physics. Yeah. A particle could be in two places at the same time. And that's what this is about. So you're acting all smart again. But that's a good thing, too, because when the bar is only three inches off the floor, that's kind of like a skill testing question for a prize. Because if you if a suitor can't climb over a three inch bar, they don't have enough right. physical stamina to really yeah. give you a run for your money. Totally. And yeah. if a trick can't handle being called a suitor, then I don't want them. <laughs> then you get back on your show pony and joust somewhere else. Yeah, you know what? Go fucking serenade somebody else from a balcony because I'm not fucking interested. <laughs> Goodbye. This was not a grinder hookup. This, you came to my balcony. You brought out a mandolin. You started to serenade That's me <laughs> with your poetry that I know your friend wrote. 
So fuck off. On the, get on that mule and ride out of town because nurse is calling me inside. <laughs> that, I put about five Shakespeare references in there for you. It, it's so rich. It's deep. This is basically, if you listen to this whole episode, you're going to get a college credit in really? drama and what physics maybe politics that's enough that's fine what else do you need to learn look at why are you being so greedy <laughs> <laughs> where did you go to school you went to school right come on me yeah did you go to like post-secondary education i did i've been to multiple post-secondaries and this is funny because one of the post-secondaries i went to was york i knew and it me too of, you know well i read on your wikipedia page mm -hmm. that you were uh, asked to leave York for being quote unquote disruptive. Can yes. you elaborate? Well, they they kicked me out of school in my fourth year, if you can believe it. Going into my <laughs> graduating year, I was in the performance um, stream of theater, mm -hmm. and every year I would just squeak in, and we'd they'd, they'd be like, "We want to get rid of you, but you did something that we can't ignore, and we and people like you, so we can't get rid of you." And then in fourth year, I, I did some things that they, could, they couldn't ignore. And they, they kicked me out. But I finished my degree in English. Oh, wow. So that's probably why I can, I can quote Beowulf. Drop those references, Beowulf. I, yeah. And, and, you know, so and, and in a weird way, they did me a favor. Because, first of all, they gave, they gave me a better, um, uh, I'd say, a, a more academic education, uh -huh. which I don't think think hurts anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it put a fire in my belly. It made me very angry. And so much of my early career, and I probably still now was driven by, I'll show those fuckers. Do you know what? And I know I've spoken to some A-class entertainers and I've heard stories of folks who that was, that's kind of a weird blessing to be like, we don't know how to tame you. Yep. That's exactly so go it. do what you do. That's exactly it. And they really did treat me like a wild animal. Yeah. And I look back on it now and I can sort of understand because, you know, look, I never went anywhere without leaving a trail of scat because I just wanted to <laughs> look at, I just, I, I was, <laughs> I thought if Farley and Moa starts tracking me, I want him to be able to find me. Yes. Yes. It's perfect. <laughs> and that's, I think the perfect segue because, uh, <laughs> and you might think how, but um yes wild animals so of course we yeah. now have grown into like you've said um twinks academics uh mm -hmm. people of different uh uh types mm -hmm. and sizes and heights yeah but uh in our in our early days uh -huh. back in time we were wild in the sense that something out there was making people queer and we didn't know what it was right. but we could see in the news or we heard yeah. things on the radio that you know we had to be careful that our, our children did not become queer. Yes. Like, for example, um, if you dipped a cookie for too long in a hot drink and then it kind of crumbles apart, mm -hmm. that could make you queer. Mm -hmm. Also, listening to a Katie Lang album while mm -hmm. simultaneously reading the liner notes mm -hmm. will actually make you queer, too. Absolutely. So we know all these things. You know this. We know oh, things now I, through yeah. science. Mm -hmm. but through we, science. Didn't, we didn't know this before. And that's why you yeah. and I got swept up. Mm -hmm. uh, and turned into big queer monsters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I like that. I've, I, I haven't been called a queer monster in an affectionate way in a long time. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that, Trevor. Just in a, a court of law. I do what I can. So that's why I've called you here today, Scott, because I want to give you 
a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to point the finger of blame at who and or what Scott Thompson made you queer? This is a serious question. You no. you can take it any way you want. Well, I mean, do you mean like who, what does that mean? Like who is my favorite crush? Who would I look at on television and the movies and go, oh my God, I'm definitely like that? That's a great question. I would, you know, I don't want to steer it too much. I don't know what kind of called you out. What was your wolf whistle? Were there experiences? Were there people? Um... Well, I mean, of course, probably, we know nothing makes you queer person. No, if we're gonna I think probably crushes, like crushes that I had on certain men where I just knew this was different okay. than the way other people felt. And I also think identifying with a lot of girls, um, there was an awful lot of women that I, I, I completely identified with. Uh -huh. And I knew that was wrong. So let's dial back to the very beginning. Can you remember mm -hmm. the first woman yes. or the first crush? Well, I would say the, the first crush would probably be like serious crush, Sidney Poitier. Oh, wh how timely. Yeah, and I mean, and I, I thought even as I said that, oh, that seems so performative and so timely and all that, but it is true. I was absolutely in love with Sidney Poitier. Sure. And um, I knew that that was not normal. I knew that it was much more than wanting him to be my teacher and to uh -huh. serve with love. I, yeah. I knew it was more than that. I would say, and there was lots and lots of crushes like that. People How old were you when Sidney Poitier uh, first? I was probably about eight or nine, seven yeah. or eight. Yeah, you know, and my mother, because my mother loved him and we would watch his movies together. And it was a kind of a safe place, but she'd go, oh, there's a Sidney Poitier movie on. And I'd be like, oh, I'll watch that with you. And so we both were kind of in love with him, mm -hmm. but we could pretend it wasn't that case. Yeah, um, yeah. She could pretend that I, I just admired him mm -hmm. and I could pretend that she just admired him. And we both did, but we also were definitely thinking of other things. And I wonder also at that age, like it's not even something she would be, she had maybe any awareness of or. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. I'm back then as well, because even though, you know, you're not a twink and I'm not. But we are very, we are different. The difference between our ages is profound hmm. in terms of the diff. Uh, it's, it, it's a sea change. So no, no one ever, uh, back then, it would not have been, it would never have crossed my mother's mind because it would be too horrible a thought to cross her mind. Mm -hmm. So the thought of having a gay child was not even remotely on her or my father's radar. Right. So that, for that reason, things you could get by with certain things they wouldn't clock. Like, for example, yes. I had a similar thing. I would watch Remington Steele with my mother. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Oh, yes. Yep. Stephanie Zimbalist Jr. and yep. Pierce Brosnan. Well, that's perfect because you've got both. You've got hot Pierce to fantasize about. Absolutely. And then you've got Stephanie Zimbalist to fantasize about being. Well, there you go. That's why the right? duo dynamic right? works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 100%. So, I mean, I, yeah. you know, I just wanted to be part of the spy gang, but I definitely wanted to give a bit of a shoulder rub to old Pierce. And maybe when someone who was a little younger than you would have had the same thing with Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis in uh, Moonlighting. Uh-huh. There you go. Because that gives you a double whammy as well, right? It's perfect. There's something for everyone. For me, the first like girl that I just completely, I thought I was in love with her. And I mean, I was obsessed with her. <laughs> there was nothing that she did that I wouldn't watch. And it would be Haley Mills. 
Oh, God, as a little course. boy. Yes. Like, I mean, little. Like the first movie I probably ever saw was that darn cat. Legendary. Probably. I was like six. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know it? Oh, I've and seen it. Yeah. I was obsessed with her, and Parent Trap was my favorite movie. I was beyond yeah. obsessed with Parent Trap. Yeah. My mother was an identical twin, so I was obsessed <sighs> with twins. Oh wow. And I just. I loved that movie so much because I could be English Haley and American Haley. <laughs> I could be, you know, smart Haley. I yes. could be wild creature in the woods Haley. You were st starting your accent work at a very young age. Yeah, and then the, and then there came like where angels go, trouble follows, and which was her as the her and I think it was Rosalind Russell as the as the nun. Fantastic. And her and I think I can't remember the name of the girl, but she turned she ended up in in television later. And they were like, they were bad girls you know, who had to go to a, a, a convent. That's right. Because so, in all of these movies, that's interesting. They were sort of, you know, Haley Mills famously mm -hmm. sort of spunky in these movies. Yeah. A tomboy, really. A tomboy, really, which yeah. is interesting that it yeah. signaled to you. And kind of always yeah, not operating. A, not a, see, definitely not super feminine girls. No. No, no. Tom, okay. Tomboys, yeah. And she was always kind of operating outside of the law. And as someone who yeah. York University later called disruptive yeah i could see how that might appeal to you well a rule breaker she was a rule breaker in every movie she made yeah like in that darn cat they're like this is beyond you this is a a kidnapping case you can't be worried about this poor teller mm. and she's like really you're too young for this yeah but she was caught between a little girl and a woman and she had that sweet spot and she she broke every rule she was constantly under underestimated and everybody thought she can't do it and she did and she had a, a slight british accent which to me screams sophistication yes that sort of weird transatlantic kind yeah. of uh yeah a flavor she talked like a young catherine hepburn kind of you know what yes, i mean like oh, yes. oh, that, 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 that mid-atlantic voice but she was a british girl and she was she came from a you know she was from a very important family the mills family Mm. So I, I that would be definitely one where I went, oh, this is wrong. Um, <laughs> but definitely bad girls, like tomboy girls. Yeah. But did that register? Because I get, you know, as a young cis male, suddenly like your antenna going up for males, that feels taboo. But did your sort of kinship with Haley Mills feel like something you should keep a secret yes okay why yeah. well everything I, I i everything in my life when i was I, I had four brothers so i grew up like a in a wolf pack oh yeah so, and i grew up in a time where you could not remotely be even seen as gay for a second because that was a not maybe a death sentence but certainly a beating up sentence mm -hmm. and i i my whole life was just to avoid getting beat up until i got out yeah, I had to avoid everything until I got out of high school and I could finally go away and be myself. But I had to, that meant my brothers, that meant everybody. So I had to hide everything. So I, I definitely hid everything. And I tried to crush every feminine instinct I had. Mm -hmm. they, they had to be crushed. Um, which were were your brothers like big sort of sports boys? They're or? all kinds, all kinds of guys. All kinds, yeah. But, you know... Uh, yeah, very. Some of my brothers are very big and masculine and sporty. And I grew yeah. up. I had a brother that was only a year younger than me. You know, I don't know Irish. We were Irish twins, hmm. and he was a beautiful, like super masculine, super athletic, basically the type of guy that every male wanted to be, like an alpha male type. 
Mm-hmm. So, and that's who I lived with my whole life in this little room until I was 17 years old. So that's what I had to compete with. Wow. So everything was about killing the gayness in me. Yeah, I know what you mean, which is really, that's a trick because you, I don't think, yeah. you know, as precocious or Haley Mills-like as we are, I don't think we're smart enough to selectively kill parts of ourselves and let other parts thrive. So you end up kind of just putting a lid Oh, the whole thing. Oh, no question. No question. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not pretending that I'm well or that I'm whole or that <laughs> I, I ever, like, I, I'm not pretending that I'll, I'll ever be a whole human being ever. I accept that. I accept the life that I've had, the life that I was born into, the world that I came into. Mm-hmm. I did the best that I could in a world that hated me. And I'm proud that I'm still here and relatively sane. I mean, here, here. Yeah. Like, really, I, I just look and I go, wow, I'm pretty fucking tough. Yeah. Like, Haley Mills would be so proud of me. And do you know what? He, big listener of the show. So, Haley, let us know how you feel. Please write yeah. us at youmademequeergmail.com. I'll pass it on to Scott. So, where do we go from? So well, I, yeah. I want to go back to Sidney Poitier. In, in I wish minute. you would. You know, because here's the thing. Part of it was I was obsessed with uh, the black struggle. Obsessed. I had scrap because I've been doing a, a Swedish death cleaning. Do you know what that is? No. Well, it's when you reach a certain age, you're supposed to get go through everything that you own and get rid of it all so that when you die, your, the people that are in charge of yeah. your, your estate don't have to be, you know, swamped with your collection of, you know, stir sticks yeah. from, you know what I mean, <laughs> or napkins or, or T-shirts, that sort of thing. So I've been doing that and I discovered a lot of things that I that kind of fascinated me. Like I go, holy shit, I, like nine years old, I had a scrapbook on Mandela. I scrapbook on Joshua Nakomo and this wow. and the struggle and Rhodesia becoming Zimbabwe because I, I realize now that you know I cared about it deeply. But the other thing was it was the only way that I I could never have followed the struggle for gay rights ever. That would have this that would have that would have in many ways outed me. But I think in a weird way, I, I became obsessed with the, the, a, a racial struggle, which wasn't even mine, because it was a, I could hide in plain sight, if that makes any sense. It, you know what? It makes sense in a lot of ways. One, it's a way you could participate and feel like you were doing something. But also, I had something a little similar, where in the ninth grade, I became obsessed with and did a book report on Amy Tan's The Joy Luck Club. Okay, yeah. Which is a very perhaps unusual book for uh, 12-year-olds to choose, which is about like, you know, generational difference between sort of a Chinese diaspora moving to the United States. But also another series of memoirs I became really obsessed with were Maya Angelou's. And she's wrote so many. And I thought about later, like, what was pinging for you in those books? Because, you know, I am a white person, white cis male, but it was the because I couldn't find any books about the queer experience at yes. all. So no. it was something where I could read about someone who said, I'm in a world that does not want me or make sense. And what do I do? Yeah. So I get that's it, a, I think. That, that's exactly the, how I was. I, I was just obsessed because I could I could I could I, I could cut out a, an article about um, 
Ian Smith dying in Rhodesia. I could cut out an article of a Joshua Nakomo and Mugabe. Yeah. And no one would have any idea. And I mean, I, I was interested in it, but it was, I could never have, I could never have had a scrapbook that had uh, clippings from about Stonewall oh, in it. Could you imagine? No. Yeah. No, I had to go the opposite. And also, let's be honest, they weren't writing about that then. There were no yeah. articles about Stonewall. That's nonsense. That's right. And I, I couldn't, and if a gay person came on television, there were very, very, very few. And it would be either a Truman Capote or a Tennessee Williams, and I'd have to leave the room because I'd have to pretend that I hated it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And yeah. that's funny too, because something, I mean, I already riffed on Katie Lang earlier, but growing up in a suburb of Toronto in the 1980s, the two queer people I and my family were aware of, one was Katie Lang. Mm -hmm. And when she came on the radio, we would change the station. Like Absolutely. you couldn't even listen to a song by an out lesbian. No. And Scott, the other was you. Oh my God. Is that wild? Oh, you on Kids in the Hall. Wow, that's very, that's cool. And that was really something, I mean, that for me, you know, certainly hard to navigate because I had to dig through so much stuff, but you and Buddy Cole and oh, that character, yeah. But you, and, your family, prob you probably said, I don't want to hear that bullshit. Oh, it was like you had to turn it on I get with it. your the remote in your hand, watch totally. it when no one was in the room, yeah. and when someone else came in, you flipped back. Me too. Like even like I, if I was watching a musical on <laughs> television and a brother walked in, I would say, I don't know. I just got somehow I was clicking through the channels and I got stuck on this when I really wanted to watch Wide World of Sports. That's right, and then throw a brick through the window to punctuate it. Yes. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I, I became very. I, I think that's partly why I. I, I confused violence with masculinity. A lot of people do. Uh, and that's, that's, there's no question. I don't know why you're, you dragged, you didn't even really drag that out of me. But. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, a lot of people do. And for the record, you're fine. Yeah. If oh, you're fine. listening to this, you don't need this lesson. Oh, I, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I'm, I know I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so when anything like that happened, like I just had to pretend I didn't like it. Like when I was very, you know, when I was about, 13, 14, the National Ballet was having auditions for, they wanted young boys to join the school. Ooh. And that's really what I, I wanted to be a, a, ballet, a ballet dancer. I wanted to be Nuria. I wanted to be Barishnikov. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted. But there was no way on earth I could do that. And there's no way on earth I could even voice it. Yeah. But I made the very key mistake of telling my brother, that, that they, I wanted to audition. And he told my other brothers, and before I knew it, it went through the family like a flash fire. Oh, no. And I was being ridiculed about it, and I buried that one. That was it. I buried that dream that day. It never came back up. Never came back up. And I, you know, later on, I realized it's probably for the best because if I had done that, I think I would have been a pretty good ballet dancer because I had, I'm not going to brag, but I, I've got a great turnout. <laughs> and um, from the waist down, yeah. I am literally, I am perfect for this. Just for the pliable floor. like Gumby, like a bunch of pipe cleaners. I got huge legs. I got great uh, big feet. I've got good turnout. I look good in tights. I would have been a good ballet dancer, but my career would have been over at 40. Right. And, and then I would have had ruined legs and knees. So That's the it's thing. all worked out for the best. They'd have to take you back out into the field and shoot you. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're still here. And also, that was when ballet was actually a thing. What do you mean? And it was a pop, it was popular culture. Um, like, 
you know, you it wasn't like an incredibly obscure art form. It was big. It was Time Magazine had a ballet section, a dance section. No, oh, yeah, and that yeah. was the first thing I went to every every week when the Time Magazine came in because there would be. A- a chance there would be a man in tights yes. and that would be pornography for me because back then pornography would have been the dance section of time magazine mm-hmm. and the underwear section of the eaton's catalog 100 percent, yes that was my experience like sears or um, yep. kaufman's because i lived in the states a bit you get those mm-hmm. backyard dads strutting around the inflatable pool yeah or in a pair of silk pajamas bingo and also to echo you I had something where I wanted to take gymnastics as a kid. Oh, me too. But yeah. we went to it one studio and the teacher yeah. said, we don't offer this for boys. Oh. As if the, a boy could not take the course. So you it see, was just like, you can't do it. It's interesting because I, I, in that way, I lucked out because I hung out with a group of guys that were quite butch and we were called, we were stoners. Okay. <laughs> and they were all rough guys, uh-huh. but they did gymnastics. I don't know why. what. Where? Yeah. Like just about town? Yeah, but you see, Matt, gymnastics can be, you can have the feminine side and the masculine side. They were all into the rings. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. High bar, uh-huh. right? Pommel horse. Those things are all, those are all very masculine gymnastics things. Are you sure? And so, I, well, they were when I was young. Okay. They, no, yep. it, it really was when I was. I mean, I'm here for it. It really was. It wasn't. No, the only thing that was considered feminine gymnastics would have been the ribbon well they, they didn't have that then okay. but yeah i did well okay at home when we won i would run around with the ribbon <laughs> the only time i ever competed in the because i was on the gymnastics team oh but what would have out what probably should have outed me was the only thing that i could compete in was the floor <laughs> and that's that's gay floor is gay a bit, of, a bit of horizontal gymnastics. Yeah, like, you know, um, cartwheels and kip-ups and yeah. back handsprings and all that. But then all my friends, like I had friends, they were so good. We would we could just stand there. We would do back flips standing. What? Do it. There was a point in my life when I could do a standing back flip. Did Okay, now this yeah, is... I know, I know. This is incredible. So did you, because do you realize that would be like in a bar or something, flirting someone yeah. up? Can you imagine if you could be like, hey, can you hold my drink for a sec? Yeah. Do a standing backflip and then mm-hmm. take your drink back. Did you ever do that? No, I, because by then, well, that bars were so crowded back then. Yeah, you probably kick someone in the face. Yeah, now you could. But that didn't last very long. I mean, there's only, a, that window's very, very. The backflip um, era. Tight. Yeah, like I probably was, out, I probably couldn't do that. I think the last time I did, it was not a back flip. I only probably did that maybe two or three times my entire life. That's amazing. But I used to be able to do back handsprings well into my 20s. <gasps> yes. Well into my 20s. And I could do kip-ups into my 30s. And the last um, full cartwheel I did was in my 40s. So, so now let's say suddenly knock, knock, knock on the door. It's the whatever version you want of the Olympics committee. And mm-hmm. they're like, Scott, you're in. Mm-hmm. What is the Olympic gymnastics move you think you could still nail? Okay. Cartwheel into a, 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 for a dive, mm-hmm. front roll, kip up, <laughs> back handspring. What's a kip up? I still don't a know. A kip up is, okay. 
It's when you're on He's your back doing it. for podcast listeners. Scott, right? You're on your back, back, right? Yeah. And you, and you got your legs over. You, you know, some people you you don't oh need gosh. a sling. Okay. You got your legs <laughs> over your back, right? They yeah. have to touch the back. I can't do it right now. I'm in a chair, <laughs> and you get your legs back there, right? Yeah. And you've uh-huh. got your leg as if you're going to suck your own cock. Yeah. And then you just <laughs> boom, you jump up oh, and you land yes. on your feet. Yes, I know. Okay, yeah. So, so it's that's like, a kip up. So, and I used to be able to do. The Russian, um, common, you know, the Russian Cossack dance, where you oh, swing yeah. your legs around and lift your hands, that sort of thing. I can do that. Well, there, and that's half the battle. So we'll see. I'm not sure. What's the next Olympics? Paris? Well, Beijing is coming up. But it's going to be on Zoom. Zoom. Let's be honest. Everyone's yeah, going to be, be in their individual home doing their <laughs> events on Zoom. Actually, it'll be like me doing the kip up. <laughs> that's right. That, that could qualify you. I'll send this video on to the committee. But yeah, but anyway, so that was it. Gymnastics. And the other thing, I, I did wrestling too, which was okay. now considered a, re- a pretty gay thing. But not then, no. Really? No, re- we, my brothers and I- covered in oil. We, we weren't, not Turkish wrestling. Okay. You know what I'm talking about with the leather pants and the oil. I, oh, I absolutely do. Yes. Um, and sometimes they have to climb that big pole in the middle oh, what's happening incredible just it's wow. the most erotic thing is though that russian that that turkish those turkish wrestlers uh, they put their hands down the other guy's pants well, yeah and they're allowed to grab his nuts it's, it's an actually sanctioned move god's country turkey absolutely yeah. there you go <laughs> yeah. God, yeah. You made me queer. you made me queer we'll be right back and now back to more You Made Me Queer. You made me queer. I cut you off. So, okay, so let's, no, anyone else you want to blame here? Because this is sh- a show about hot retribution. So we've got Sydney Poitier. We've got Bailey yeah. Mills. Uh, Bailey I Mills. think we've, we've tossed in a few sports. We've got gymnastics. We've got yeah. certainly the whole country of Turkey. The whole country of Turkey. Midnight Express. Oh, come the on. shower scene, you know. Come on. Yeah, I mean, okay, okay, um... Women in Love, D.H. Lawrence's Women in Love, um, the naked wrestling scene in front of the fire. <laughs> Oliver Reed. Is it Oliver Reed? And um, I can't remember the other name of the other actor. That would have done it. Also, Oliver Twist. This is really tragic. Okay. Falling in love with Oliver Reed, who was actually, he's the horrible character, but I kept going... He's terrible to Nancy, but I still find him attractive. Oh, wait, was that was that Bill Fagan? Sykes? Bill, Bill Sykes. Sykes. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Right. That's yeah, awful. this is an I mean just no, this really... is, I'm not proud of this. No, listen, you know, we I can't it's... help it. <laughs> um Clifton Davis and that's my mama. Um he, he he was a gorgeous actor and he used to wear tight pants and you could see the imprint of his dick. And it was back in the 70s. No one even thought anything of it. Talk about tight pants. Clifton Davis. Let's see. Beautiful. Tight pants. You can see everything. Um, as we should. You know what? As yeah, is. Right, absolutely. All right. That's, and you know what? In your benevolent dictatorship, there will be a few strict rules. One of them will be unitards across the board. Across the board. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that uh, Turkish oil. Turkish oil. Oh, you've yeah. got to start thinking about how you're going to run this country. You know, you can't even do that. You couldn't go to one of those Turkish oil wrestling competitions anymore. Because Are they, they canceled? Know. Oh, they no, know. they're not. Can't they, they know? They know. They know. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of like Western men come in. <laughs> just you know, yeah. just happened to be there. It was just 
we were just going through Cappadocia. Well, that's 500 miles away. Oh, no, it was it was no big deal. We just stumbled across this. No one stumbled. It was in our that. Lonely Planet book as Scott is throwing $20 <laughs> bills at the men. <laughs> Yeah. And there was probably a yoga book that I, I found, which had a, a naked yoga master on. Not naked, but he wore this kind of like yeah. diaper thing that I that I found very attractive. Okay, um, so you like the uh, costume? Tarzan. Oh, Tarzan. so okay. A lot of you like it's really outfit centric for you. That kind of woke you up, like loincloths and loin diapers, cloths, diapers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> jock straps, <laughs> cat cones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We've isolated it. It's costume yeah. work. And even superheroes, I realized sure. the superheroes that I love were all the shirtless ones. Uh-huh. I love Aquaman. <gasps> I love Silver Surfer. Yes. I love um, uh, Submariner. These are great ones. Right? I, and- I had some of those action figures and the, time, the amount of time I spent just mashing them together. Oh, totally. To and they were all, they weren't really popular characters. And, and, and they're also, they all became kind of superheroes that people mocked. I remember in Entourage, they used to mock Aquaman for years and years and years until they made the movie with Jason Momoa. That's right. But it was, He's I went, mocking Jason Momoa. No one. I mean, I, and he would have been probably awakening for me now. Oh, yeah. If I was a little gay boy, that yeah. definitely he would have awoken me. <laughs> but um, I remember thinking, why do I like them? All? Oh, they're shirtless. They're anti-heroes and yeah. they're shirtless. And, you know, and I've talked to some folks about this before. Superheroes are inherently queer because they are secret identities. Yeah. And they are people who, when allowed to uh, become their secret selves, are more powerful. Just like us. Yeah, that, that's totally true. There you go. And yet there really, have, there really hasn't been an openly, like a gay male superhero ever that also i think is going to be a bedrock of your political uh platform more more gay superheroes yeah like i mean i i don't really believe in like going back and, and pretending that someone was gay after the fact because it's like oh, invent yeah. someone new i wouldn't do that like i'm not going to dumbledore the flash or anything. <laughs> yeah i know it's a bit bit desperate if you wanted him to be gay you would have made him gay so 100 percent. yeah um but I think Hawkeye might have been gay. Um, sure. Green Lantern, I think. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. Anyone with a bit of a swishy power like that. Yeah. And the power of ring. You know what yeah. I mean? And it was an emerald. An emerald. That's the gay stone. I know. It's too a bit too jewelry-based to come off as straight. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it was a diamond, I get it. But not an emerald. That's an off-cut. Come on. Come um, on. <laughs> so I, I do want to touch on something too quickly. And unfortunately, we are running out of time. But I found it interesting because you mentioned sort of the the how lightly you had to tread as a kid in that family of brothers and oh, where you God. grew up and yeah. things like that. And then, you know, taking such a big swing in your career, like with Buddy Cole or things yeah. like that, where, you know, some, I don't want to say provocateur, because I, I don't know. No, I don't mind that at all. You know what I mean? Like, I think you were having no, fun. No, that's, that's partly of what I am. You were playing with the stereotype, which is part of what this show is, too. I mean, we spend so much time trying to convince people things don't make you queer, but instead I'm just leaning in because that's so much funnier. So, yeah. so your switch into, le- like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an interesting evolution. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Uh, I've thought a lot about that. Why did I suddenly become famous for this incredibly effeminate gay stereotype? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think I'm just, re- I, basically, I think Buddy Cole was reclaiming the queen in me. 
that I had killed. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a child, I, I tried to kill everything feminine in me. And that was feminine equaled gay in a male. Yeah. yeah. And we, are, we live in a different world today, but that's the world that I come from, and I still stand by it. And so I did everything in my power to kill that. And, and also when I was very young, I had a speech impediment. Mm. And uh, I had a lisp, a very bad lisp. I couldn't say S's or CH's or all that stuff. And when we started studying fractions, suddenly my way of speaking became very problematic because people that I'd grown up with could understand me, but then the teachers didn't know what I was saying. And they discovered that I, I had a very severe speech impediment. Mm. But I talked like this sort of thing, I mean, I lisp, which was considered gay, a gay voice. So I had three years of speech therapy, and it was my father would bring me to the sick kids like every every two weeks Thursday. I would see Mrs. Schwartz, mm. and she would. Oh, why she got to have an S H sounding name too? I know, it's so and, cruel. But it was interesting because I learned how to speak like this. I learned how to basically, and and now people will say, "Well, you you killed the gay voice." No, no, I didn't kill it. I I couldn't have that. That list would have hurt me tremendously as a person. Mm. It would have kept me from being an actor. It was a speech impediment. And um, I, I killed it. I had to. So I learned, I wrote stories that had lots of S's and CH's and SH's in mm. them. And I, it was the beginning of my, me writing and the beginning of writing stories. And it was also a way for me to bond with my father. Mm. Um, and she helped me. And I think it was, it was definitely a couple of years. And so after that, I, I didn't have that. But when I'm very tired and I'm feeling weak or uh, sad, sometimes mm. it will come back. Mm. Um, and I think in some ways, Buddy Cole is me reclaiming the queen that I tried to kill and the, that girl in me or whatever you want to call it. And to, to reclaim the speech impediment that I had. I mean, yeah, now people wow. might say that even calling it an impediment is ableist, but whatever. Um, it was definitely, it would have been an impediment to me. Yeah, you're speaking for yourself. Yes, yeah. I'm speaking for myself. And I can now speak anyway. So the first mm -hmm. time I ever did that voice was with Paul Bellini, because mm -hmm. he, he had a video camera, and he was one of the first people I knew that had one. And he said, let's just start shooting stuff. And I remember just going, my name's Spuddy Call, and <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a vampire. And I'd never, ever ever done that voice before i never imitated a gay man i never ever done that kind of thing for laughter because i read gay and i knew it it was so forbidden it was so forbidden and when that came out it was just like a damn broke and i just improvised for hours and that was the beginning of it where <sighs> you can't really kill that thing yeah you can't really kill anything in yourself uh -huh. You have to just accept it. And no matter how long you bury something, it will eventually come out. Yes, it's very Jungian with the sort of shadow self idea. And you're right. Yes. There's something so powerful because, I mean, I grew up in a very Catholic household uh -huh. and in an era when, yeah, you, you have clocked for you. You don't just clock them yourself, but clocked for you anything that could out you as being queer or gay or whatever. Yeah, using your hands too much, yes, opening you your think, eyes oh, too wide, yeah, yes. being too surprised, being too emotional, all those things. Yeah. Expressing an interest in things that weren't conventionally male. Yeah. You had to watch. I watched myself constantly for 18 mm -hmm. years. And even 
It didn't even stop in university. When I went to university, I went, I studied acting and I still stayed in the closet. Mm. I had a girlfriend. That's how bad it was the way I, when I grew up, that's how homophobic the world was. Mm -hmm. I cannot express how deeply homophobic the world was. Everything gay was a disaster. Yeah. And had to be killed and you had to run from it. Which is so why I, I think it's so del like delicious now to lean into those things so hard, like you said, to reclaim. But also because I think, you know, when something's that baked into you, I don't know if it'll ever, the novelty will never wear off for me to be a bit swishy or to do something yeah. that I was told for my whole life not to do. And I say swishy with the greatest affection. Yes, but swishy, that's the word for it. No. Doesn't, it, doesn't, you, it depends on whether you put a negative connotation to it or not. You can't and, do it. Um, it's always positive. So, excuse me. And so that's what it was. So when I did that, that was it. Buddy Cole just went, <laughs> enough already. I mean, he, <laughs> like, he'd been slumbering for the long, long time. Yeah. And, and that's so, something I think was cool because that... You know, I watched a clip of you with Don Cherry. Yes. Like, even though he's wearing a crushed velvet jacket. So, Don, who are you kidding? But also sort of this male bravado swagger. And that character gave you, allowed you access to those spaces where you were in charge. Right, because that was not Buddy. That was me. Which right? is so amazing. Exactly. And, and yet that allowed me... See, that thing with Don Cherry is one of the... Uh, to me, one of the best things that's ever happened in my career. I love it. Because he had no weapons to use against no, you. No, and I disarmed him completely. Exactly. And I discovered that he, he was a, a, actually a really nice guy. Mm. Like, and I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew it. And I knew he didn't hate me. And I knew that if he knew me, he would respect the hell out of me. Mm. And, I, and, and he did. Because I thought, this man respects a fighter, and I'm a fighter. Right. And you can say, oh, he, he's, he, this is an act. This is all an act. I know he'll love me. Well, and he did. Which is funny because, you know, it's just like he's a larger than life character. That was an yes. act, too. And you can make the argument that, that we're all basically performing our idea of absolutely uh, male or female or adult or whatever. So, yeah, as it's, long as you. It's all a performance. It's all a performance, right? It's all a performance. I mean, Shakespeare had it right. You know, life is a stage and, we, and you were all players on it. And your job is to do the best job you can. Like, act the hell out of the part you're given. Or the part you want to play. If you don't like the part you're given, choose yeah. a different part. But That's yeah, true. But yeah. fucking give it. But once you get that part, you fucking act the hell out of it until the day you die. That is fantastic advice. Yeah. And yeah. because we're almost out of time, and I have so many more things to ask, but before I say goodbye, Scott, would you like to play a game? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thank God. Well, this game is called Queer, queerer, queerest. Queerer, queerest. Okay. So the rules are very simple. I'm going to give you three things, Scott. You mm -hmm. are going to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. No questions? No. Nope. Fantastic. Okay. First thing, big gulps. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the, the beverage size? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Big gulps. Gas station favorite. Thing number two participatory bumper stickers. For example, uh, one that says, how's my driving? Call blah, blah, blah number. 
some bumper sticker that's inviting you to join in. Like baby on board? Is that one? I mean, maybe if it's if there's a call to action, like baby oh, on board. Oh, call to action. Yeah, oh, something. Well, those I, sorts of things. As a viewer. Oh, like like to... saying sort of like, I'm still angry at Yoko. Those kind of stickers. <laughs> a bit like that. But like, you okay. know, I mean, you can take it any way you want. But like, how's my driving has a phone number. Like if I see you driving and I'm like, oh, you're driving quite well. I can call the number and be like, the, the semi truck on Route 66 was great or something. There's something okay. I can do to join in. Okay. But I like, you know, the Yoko baby on board, et cetera. You, you take it as you will. Okay. Thing number three. The squeak that exposed skin makes when it's going down a hot metal slide. Oh. Is that, that has a very specific sound for me. Oh, I, and I feel, I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, definitely. I mean, I grew up in the era of dangerous playgrounds. That's right. That's right. 70s and 80s. It was oh, basically a public death trap. Absolutely. It was Squid Game had nothing on childhood <laughs> playgrounds in the 70s and 80s. 100, 100%. So just to quickly recap before you yeah. answer, big gulps, participatory bumper stickers, inviting the viewer to do something, and that squeak exposed skin makes going down a hot metal slide, least square to most square, and why? Uh, least queer, big gulps, even though obviously, <laughs> you know, people are going, well, what about, you know, cocksucking and swallowing a big load of cum? And I mean, really, <laughs> do we have to go there? Uh, it's too lots, on the nose. Yeah, it's too on the nose. And gulping is not a hetero or homo thing. And has nothing <laughs> to do with that. So I'm, but to me, a giant big gulp from 7-Eleven is a very, very straight thing. Got it. That, so that's the least. That's queerish, or at least queer. Okay. Number two, number two would be participatory. Um, what do they call them? Like what do you call them? Decal, bumper stickers. Decal, bunker, bumper stickers. Yeah. Because I find them, it's embarrassing. <laughs> you're not owning yourself. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Like you know, if you're driving around and you want people to comment on whether you're driving well or not, you're not fucking confident in who you are. <laughs> you know, right. You know what I mean? Like if a car yeah. is a, a dress, you're not comfortable wearing that dress. Yeah, you're right. You don't need you don't need people to tell you, oh, oh, I, I saw him at the Oscars and oh my God, what an amazing outfit. No, no one needs to. I, I just wear, I wore this to the Oscars. I don't need you to tell me that it's fantastic. I know it's fantastic. You're right. It's so desperate. Yeah, just right. drive your car and keep on yeah. trucking. Or exactly, whatever. and that's my business. And I and, and you know, desperate is not. It's not the look we want. It's certainly it, it's not the look that I want. It's certainly not yeah. the, the queer that I like. You don't see a Turkish oil wrestler turning around, going, "Everyone having a good time." Everyone having a good time. No. He turns around, and goes, "Smell my finger," right? <laughs> and and you do because you that's don't. Right. You don't want people to think, what, you're, you're, what, you don't want to smell his finger? Yeah, come I mean, on. what are you, a big fag? Of course not. No, you smell a Turkish wrestler's finger. There's nothing <laughs> butcher and more masculine than that. As one does. All, right. all my Turkish listeners, and I'm sure I have many, just unsubscribe from the podcast. I'm like, how um, dare you? <laughs> and then I get the, the gayest thing of all would it be the, the sound that your exposed flesh makes as you go down a hot um, metal slide. Okay. Any, I mean, you, that doesn't need an explanation, but any explanation? Well, this is this might make me a little uncomfortable. Okay. It's a, we're among friends. It's a safe space. Hmm. Anal sex <laughs> isn't, um, it's a stop and go journey. 
Okay. You don't get there in the first trip. That's, that's what dad always said. It takes four to five trips to get there. Uh-huh. And the first trip, eh, there's that squeak. Okay. Right? It takes uh-huh. a while before you're, you know what I mean? So for me, that, yeah. I think that's what it is. Because you're going, yeah, okay, this, is, this hurts the first time. But by the fifth time you go down this hot metal slide, yeah. you'll be loving it. You, there you go. There you go. Uh, what did? You, what was that great quote you just said? Four or five trips makes the journey. Yeah, something about say? that. It takes That's about four to so five, beautiful. Four to five trips before you get there. It's not one way. You don't just get in the car and get to the end and go. That's oh, right. I no, just, no. I, I just I just negotiated anal sex highway. No, no, no. No, there's <laughs> four to five stops along the way, and one of them is in a motel room. And that was uh, my drive-in. That's the bumper sticker there. Yeah, like how's my drive? How's my driving? And then you eventually get there, and you're glad you did it. Yeah, but it was quite a trip. I hope you hope you brought snacks. Not for everyone. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Yep. Maybe take the train next time. Staycation. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of options. Great. Okay. Well, let me just check the score here. Uh, congratulations, Scott Thompson. You win one hundred percent. Oh, how did I win? Is that like, so I got the right answers? Well, listen, all it proves basically is that you are in fact a queer person. Yeah, I'm very happy with those results. The PCR is in for queerness. (laughs) And I want to thank you, Scott, because when this conversation started, I was queer as hell. And you, Scott Thompson, have made me queerer than ever. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was uh, a dream for me. And thank you, truly. I mean this literally, not just my show's tagline. Thanks for helping uh, lead me down that that big queer highway. Thank you. It's very nice talking to you. I'm, I was told that this would be a lot of fun, and uh, they were right. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it. My reputation precedes me. Yes, you have a good reputation. It does, and it does precede you. Get out of here! I was just digging for that. No, one. you have a great reputation. No, no, you do. Everyone says you're a great guy, and you're really funny. Everyone, and I love it. Every, everybody. Ask, ask anyone. Um, thank <laughs> you so much, Scott. It was great talking to you. And uh, stay queer, my friend. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Bye Okay, that is our show. Another you made me queer in the worm bucket. As always, you can contact me at you made me queer at gmail.com. I watch this inbox like a hawk. Please rate, review, and subscribe to You Made Me Queer on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your pods. I need it. And with that, cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our engineer is Sean Van Beaton. What a great job he's doing. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of our music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault.